jumper on the way. Good! Tyus Battle nails the three. Dungey leaps and into the end zone for Dungey. A touchdown. If that's not on every highlight show tonight, then I, I don't know who's watching. Powered for Soaring through the air. High-flying Slovakian. Screen pass here. He'll get one. And he stays alive, and he's got room to the 10. One man to beat. He'll do it. Touchdown, Syracuse. And for Syracuse, party time. The upset pulled by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 to 24. The penetration. Step back. Oh, a pressure bucket for Tyus Battle. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Powered by Drivers Village and Hummel's Office Plus. Good afternoon, everyone. No Seth Goldberg. He's off today. He'll be back tomorrow. Stephen Fonte with you. I'll be joined in a moment by former SU defensive back Julian Wiggum. We talk a lot of football on the show today. Week two of the college season in the books. Week one of the NFL regular season just about complete. A couple of games tonight, and boy, it was a long Sunday for my Buffalo Bills. We will take your phone calls throughout the show. No guests lined up for it today, so we want to hear from you at 315-437-7644. Get your impressions of SU's second victory of the season, 62-10 to over Wagner. And maybe more importantly, get your impressions and thoughts Heading into the Florida State game, boy, the Seminoles look very beatable after struggling at home with Samford. Survived that game one by ten, but the score not indicative of how that one went. Gave up 475 passing yards to Stam uh, to Samford. Rather, it wasn't Stanford. Could understand if it was Stanford. It was Samford, and then a pick six at the end of the game uh, accounted for the the ten point spread. So the Florida State Seminoles uh, look beatable. To say the least, at this point, we'll certainly uh, get into this game as the uh, the show moves along and, and as the week moves along. We, we start the show, though, by, by bringing in our producer, uh, Tommy Hogan. And, uh, Tommy, we do this every week. It's our next day delivery brought to you by Hummel's Office Plus. At the end of last week, you came in, you asked Seth and I, uh, for our thoughts, our predictions uh, going into this Wagner game in, in, in several different uh, categories. So let's start the show by looking back on, on how we did. So what did you have for us on Friday? So one of the questions that I asked was, who will have more total yards, Eric Dungy or Tommy DeVito? And I think Seth was one to say that it would be Tommy DeVito. Seth went with DeVito. Um, I was surprised how long to, uh, that Eric Dungy stayed in this game as well. And, you know, you go back to the first game, and we all thought he came out of the game too soon. And I, I know there were more than a few fans who thought he, he left the game uh, too late uh, on Saturday against Wagner. Dino Babers did address it. He said that he left him in there because they wanted to work on the passing game. Obviously, Dungy was was not all that efficient in the opener through the air, had 200 yards on the ground, and, and obviously you know scored on his first nine possessions. Um, so he was efficient, just not through the air. They wanted to work on the passing game and give the receivers some time to, to get down their, you know, their game day chemistry with their starting quarterback. Dungy threw it 32 times, finished 23 of 32 for, for 218 yards, had the five touchdowns. Um, I thought it was going to be Dungy. I thought he would have more total yards. He would have to get his work in. They'd have to score a lot of points. They did all that. Stayed in longer than I thought. For sure. I, I think he stayed in a lot longer than a lot of people are expecting. He was in a 52-7 game at home against Wagner. 
We got pulled in a 35-7 game on the road in the first half against Western Michigan. It didn't make much sense to me, but fine. Dino Babers, his explanation was he wanted to work on the passing game. Fine. All right, so be it. But if he got hurt in a 52-7 game against Wagner... There have been a lot of uh, explaining to do on the ha- on the behalf of Dino Babers and Doug Sherman, who was calling the game uh, on Saturday. You know, he he made the point that if you're going to put Dungey back out there, I'm sure Dino Babers got in Dungey's face or you know and, and looked him in the eye and said, "Listen, do not take any chances. Yeah. We are going to win this game." And 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 Dungey played it right, and they they got their work in. He got out. Tommy DeVito only got a couple of series, and again his. His numbers don't look all that great, much like the openers. Four for four for nine in the opener, one for five passing in this game. So he's still very much a work in progress. I think everybody's intrigued by his arm strength and what he brings to the table uh, in that regard. Uh, but Eric Dungy's the man, and he showed it again on Saturday. Five touchdown passes as Syracuse cruises to victory. So, so chalk one up for me. I said Dungy. <laughs> Seth said DeVito. What else did you have for us on Friday? I had... More rushing yards, Dante Strickland or Mo Neal, and I think a lot. I think all three of us came said Mo Neal, and that was the correct answer. Mo Neal had seventy-one yards on nine carries. Dante Strickland nine carries on thirty-five yards. So about so ha- basically half of what Mo Neal had, and and they both had the same amount of touches, and and yep. that's something that then we when we bring in Julian Wig, I'm going to get his thoughts on. I was surprised that that Moniel got so many touches uh, in the opener, and again, we we saw them get the same amount of touches from a, a running perspective. Both got nine carries, and Moniel did just about twice as much damage with those nine carries. I mean, he he has turned into, even though on the depth chart he's listed as the backup right now, anyway, he's been the better back uh, through two games. What else did you have for us? I, it was more targets, Devin Butler or Sean Riley. But I'm not sure targets are a kept stat, so we're going to go off receive receptions here. Uh, Butler had four receptions for 37 yards. Sean Riley had six receptions for 54 yards and a, and a touchdown from Sean Riley. He had the, the tip pass from uh, Jamal Custis in that, the, the first touchdown of the game. I think a lot of us went with Devin Butler because... Devin Butler needs to have the more, the most targets, and maybe he did have the most targets, but he still I, he still did not have the most receptions. I thought Butler was going to be targeted quite a bit uh, in this game, and and through two games, and not, you know you don't want to point the finger at at one guy, but I I think that you know he certainly hasn't lived up to the expectations. Let me put it that way. Had a couple of drops uh, in the opener against Western Michigan. Had another drop uh, in this game on on a play that you know would have given them first and goal inside the five. As as we bring in uh, Julian Wiggum now. And and Julian, I I know that um, you know you were a little disappointed with the way you know Devin Butler played in the opener. We thought he might bounce back in this one. Um, he's got to look over his shoulder a little bit because some of the younger guys did some really good things. Nikeem Johnson looked good. Dino Baber saying he's healthy really for the first time since the spring. Sean Riley had a touchdown in six catches. Jamal Custis had another touchdown. Taj Harris had a touchdown. Uh, had just the one catch, but. Yo, Devin Butler's got to pick it up here a little bit. Yeah, I actually thought he uh, was replaced uh, by the second quarter. I mean, it seemed like he got his targets, but he wasn't making any plays. And then there was uh, another situation. I know that Coach Babers is very hard on his receivers. He expects uh, to the T, the coaching, take it all in and produce. And he hasn't done that yet. He was supposed to be a deep threat. Uh, they missed him a couple times uh, a couple weeks ago against Wagner, or excuse me, against um, 
uh, I'm sorry, who was it? Western, oh, Michigan. Western, Western Michigan. Michigan. Right. And, uh, and then coming up this week against Wagner, he just still wasn't there. So uh, it seemed like he was replaced about midway through the second quarter and into the third quarter by a lot of these younger guys like Nike Johnson, uh, Taj Harris getting in there. And uh, it, it, the offense, it was, it was, he was expected to be that guy, yet for whatever reason still has not shown up on the stat sheet as, as someone who – Dungy is is a supporter of someone that he trusts, uh, and then Babers. It just seems like his reps are starting to go lower and lower, and you could see the confidence level. His, his shoulders are shrinking down a little bit. And that's disappointing to see. Tommy, you asked us a question on Friday about the the number of quarterback changes we would see in this game. Frankly, Julian, I thought we would see a third quarterback play. Uh, I was surprised that Dungy stayed in the game as long as he did. I was surprised that you know Tommy DeVito only got a couple series. That was just because they ran out of time and 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 the game was over. I thought we'd see a third quarterback. Are you surprised that Eric Dungy stayed in as long as he did? Yeah, it was. It's, it's weird how Coach Babers is managing his quarterbacks right now. The, the first game, we were thinking, oh, Dungy should have stayed in there longer, or uh, we should have got him back in there sooner. Yet now we see Dungy in there uh, longer than we would have liked to. And then uh, we, we see we don't we see Devito for what, what was it? A couple it, series, a couple, he got a couple two series, possessions, yeah. two possessions, and that, that's the game we thought we would see him in much longer. Uh, his decisions on his, I still, I gotta ask him to be honest because it, at this point it seems like it's pretty sporadic on how he wants to get his guys going. And it's after in the post game, uh, Coach Bear he talked about how he wanted to get his guys more reps, more opportunities uh, to kind of just stay in there, stay warm. And I know from experience, um, there's a couple. It was Wagner uh, back in my sophomore year and against Tulane. Uh, Coach Schaefer left his stars in there long because, hey guys, I want you to get another sweat. We want to work on some things. We want to try something different on this drive. So I want you. You guys understand in a game scenario rather than being practice trying it live because the, the feel is a little bit different so there's some reasons for coaches to leave some starters in there longer than we expect or to uh, put in a backup with his starters like the, the uh, DeVito sometimes but uh, right now it's, it's weird how he's been managing his quarterbacks but uh, come Florida State I expect things to be in the whole time all right, that is our next day delivery. It's brought to you by Hummel's Office Plus. Tommy, as always, we appreciate it. 315-437-7644 is the number. If you'd like to check in, you can also text us on the text line at 315-288-0644. So much to get to from Syracuse's second game of the season. The Orange now 2-0, right where we thought they'd be going into Florida State. The Seminoles not exactly where we thought they would be going into this Week 3 matchup. The Conference opener for uh, Syracuse. Obviously, Florida State's already played one conference game. It did not go well. They lost at home to Virginia Tech. We'll get to that as the show moves along, plus your phone calls. Keep it here. We've got to take our first time out. We're just getting started on Orange Nation. Back after this on ESPN Radio. Live from Armory Square, this is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. No Seth Goldberg. He'll be back tomorrow. It's Stephen Fonte, Julian Wiggum with you up until 2 o'clock on a Monday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by the Bill Rapp Superstore at the corner of Thompson and Burnett in Syracuse or online at BillRapp.com. We've got no guests lined up for it today. We're going to talk a lot of football here with Julian. We want to hear from you at 315-437-7644. You just told me something during the break that Made my jaw drop to some degree. We're going to save that. Okay. Going to keep people waiting to hear what that was. We'll <laughs> save that for one more segment, okay? Uh, I do want to get your your thoughts on the on the Wagner game and whether or not you take anything away from it. We, we had a lot of takeaways from the Western Michigan game. 
How much can you really take away from a 62 to 10 drubbing against Wagner? But curious to see what you what you saw on Saturday. Yeah, usually when you play a lesser opponent like a Wagner, those FCS teams, like last season when they played Central Connecticut State, uh, you can't take very much from it because there's such a, a lesser opponent. I mean, you're supposed to beat them the way that you do. But I think the benefit this year is that Syracuse already played Western Michigan, and we could see some of the deficiencies they had on offense and defense. First, what were the wide receivers going to do? Who else would step up besides Jamal Custis on the defensive side of the ball? Would the secondary understand where they need to be? Would they still have those same coverage issues? Would they tie those things together? And those are just concept things that you can fix no matter who you're playing because it's all inside of your scheme. It's just a matter of being where you need to be. It's more so on that individual, that athlete on Syracuse's team rather than the opponent that they're playing. So when we get to this Wagner game, it was good to see those other wide receivers step up a little bit, those young guys. Uh, I, I'm, I've been so hyped about Nikeem Johnson. I thought that he was so sudden in his routes during the spring and the preseason this year. I thought that, I think he can have a very big impact and really step up as that second guy if uh, Devin Butler doesn't. Jamal Cuss, I think, has solidified himself as that number one target so far, it seems. But uh, on the defensive side, I was really worried about the secondary. Um, Andre Sisko, I was very high on him during the preseason. I was saying, man, he reminds me of Darrell and the way he can go after the ball. He showed so many ball skills, just his range and athleticism. He's got length. There's no reason he shouldn't shouldn't be a good free safety. And then after the Western Michigan game, I'm like, oh, man, they were telling me he's the smartest guy out there. He knows where he's supposed to be, but he made some mistakes. Again, he's a freshman. So I'm like, okay, he's a freshman. He had the one pick. It, it suggests that he knows what he's doing. Um, but then to see him come out and get two, this guy, I'm, oh, man, I don't care who the opponent is. He was snatching those things. He, The route recognition was there. He had his coverage depths figured out. Uh, he, he basically erased all of my doubts that I might have had in Andre Sisko as a freshman uh, playing this last Wagner team. And that and that was good to see. So there's a lot to draw from an FCS opponent. You, you understand that, okay, we have our basic uh, scheme down. Now we can build on that going into ACC play against Florida State. And that's what you want to do. Uh, as long as you understand understand the basic concepts that you've been working on all camp long and now that you're moving into ACC play and bigger better opponents uh, better athletes on the outside uh, it's good to see that you have it down so that way you can start to build onto those things whether it be on offense with new route concepts or on defense with new ways to flip your zones and such uh, there's, there's a lot of opportunity and when you play a team like Wagner let's give it gives you a good chance to solidify those things. you brought up Nikeem Johnson a moment ago and that's one of the things we learned uh, you know following the game Dino Babers saying that this is really the first full week that Nikeem Johnson has been healthy since the spring and I don't think we really realized that he had been dealing with a nagging injury that was slowing him down. He didn't play against Western Michigan, and I think some people were like, eh, why didn't he play against Western Michigan? Now we know the reason why he didn't play against Western Michigan. Yeah, I, I heard he had this weird tape going down um, his hamstring, and that was something that was holding him back a little bit. So to see him kind of get unleashed last week, the way he was able to separate from his defender. Yeah, looks was, healthy, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, <laughs> he's got speed, quickness. He understands routes from the outsides, routes in the slot. He can move around no matter where he's at. He can You can motion him and throw just tossing the ball real fast. I think he's a, a very complete receiver and someone that I think re- could really complement uh, Jamal Custis no matter where he's at on the field. And that's that's a dynamic duel that you got to have for this Syracuse offense to work. You know, uh, last season it was uh, Stephen Irv, the year before Amba and um, I think it was Brisley Esteem. You know, there's always that second guy that can come in and kind of give you some help. So, and then special teams. Okay, I was just I, I was going to call you out because you didn't say anything about the special teams. No, no I'm 
mentioned the special teams on the pregame show, you laughed at me. Yeah, I did. I did. Okay, because you have this weird thing with seeing kickers play well. <laughs> there was a weird thing. We said, what do we hope to get out of this game? <laughs> and I realized that the things we could get out of the Wagner game, they're few and far between. So I said... I want to see Andre Schmidt go out there and make a long field goal. I, did I not say that? I yeah. said he made a 43-yarder against Western Michigan. I said, show me he's got leg of 45-plus yards. He made a 50-yarder. Okay. Like, is that not one of our takeaways from the game that, hey, this team might have an accurate kicker? That's the one that I just say no. Oh. Be, only because. Because I said it. That's no, the only reason. No, no. I'm, I'm cool with kickers making 50 yards. That's fine. But, okay, imagine this. Imagine you're a receiver, right, and all you do all practice is run fades. You run fades from the 25-yard line in. You run fades from 50 yards out, 75 yards out. You just run fades all day long for about eh, not, like 20, 30 minutes of practice. If I throw you a fade during the game, you better catch it and you better score because that's all you do all practice long. No different for a kicker. That's why I say, good, he did what he was supposed to do. It was from 50 yards. <sighs> okay, I'll... I'll give. I was happy to see it. I mean, Cole Murphy had his issues last year, so Schmidt, hats off to him. High five, good. But I think other elements of the special teams were more interesting than the kick. Okay, so right, the block kick that led to a touchdown, great. I mean, there was obviously the muffed snap on the punt, so they they technically blocked two kicks. Raven kills p- killed a punter. He did. So that that's more fun than. I know it's more fun, and I realize, you know, to say I wanted to see a long field goal, it's not sexy, but <laughs> that is one of my takeaways. You purposely left that. One of my takeaways, in, all kidding aside, is that I think Syracuse has a kicker that, again, it's two games, you don't want to overreact, but so far, he looks like a kicker you can rely on. Or if it's, you know, and it hasn't been a pressure kick yet, so it wasn't like he kicked a 50-yarder with three seconds left in the game on the line. I get that, but... Number one, he showed range, and number two, through two games, he's shown accuracy, and he's gotten a lot of work because there's been a lot of extra points, and he's you know he made a 43 yard in the first game, a 50 yard in the second game. It's only two games, but I've been pleasantly surprised by the place kicking position. Can I say that? You can. And my fears, the when you hype kickers up and you see that they're supposed to be very... I'm not hyping him up. I'm just saying that that is a part of this team that before the season started, I didn't know what they were going to do, number one, who was going to be the starting place kicker. Then when we see it's a redshirt freshman who came here as a walk-on, then I'm like, hmm, let's see how this goes. And so far, I have been pleasantly surprised. And you're set, you're giving all this kid so much radio karma because you're going to set him up for a 50 yarder to win a game. It's going to be a big one, and he's going to miss. And I'm going to come back on this you're show. Crush me for it. And I'm going to be like, this is why we can't love kickers. They need to stay in constant state of fear that helps them kick better. Fear helps them kick better. Absolutely, I would think confidence would help them kick better. Oh no! Like you got to if he knows he's getting stomped in the locker room for missing that kick, he's going to make it every time. Pressure. It's the pressure that makes them get make it. But when he's comfortable, or you know, that's when they start missing kicks, and then they get in their own head, and you don't want kickers in their own head. I said this on Saturday when we were on the quad. Like you hate, you legitimately hate kickers. I don't hate kickers. I don't respect them. But they're a part of the team, just like everybody else. Yeah, but they practice for thirty minutes and drink water and don't run. I think this is why I defend kickers. If I was on a football team, I would probably be a kicker. <sighs> I'm just being honest. I wish I was a kicker. They live the best football <laughs> life ever. Until they miss a big kick. One of my best friends in high school was a kicker. 
we just used to like make fun of him a lot. You know, <laughs> he was our boy. He was our boy, Bobby Puyo. Well, Andre Schmidt's been impressive so far. I'll say that. 50-yarder, 43-yarder against Western Michigan. That's one of the things I learned. Uh, anything else before we take our next break? Did you learn anything else about the 2018 Syracuse football team against Wagner? Chris Frederick is an all-ACC corner. That's about it. Against Wagner, you saw that. I saw it against Western Michigan, too. I've okay. seen it since last year. I mean, it's just a constant trend upward. I've been saying it for so I didn't say he's going to be all-ACC last year. I'm like, he's really good. And then this year, it's like... He's in zone, but it's still it's as tight a coverage as man. And teams just completely they'll look at him and look away. They're able to complete those uh, back shoulder throws, which are very a hard to throw and too harder to defend. But I, I I love this kid at corner. I mean, we love Antoine Cordy and such. And I just feel like Chris Frederick isn't talked about enough as someone who is uh, very valuable to the Syracuse defense. All right, one more uh, in this segment, um, Tommy DeVito. Mm. His numbers suggest that obviously, think you know, last two games haven't gone the way he's he's wanted them to from a statistical standpoint. Um, some things happened in this one, much like in the opener, that that weren't his fault. A couple bad snaps and whatnot. The and he worked with the twos this time, opposed to the ones in the first game. He was he was primarily with the backups. Right. What do you make of his first two performances? And again, for the for the fans out there that have been dying to see Tommy DeVito, um, you know what what do you what do you tell them? I mean, it, it it hasn't quite gone the way that I think most people thought it was going to go with DeVito. We thought we were going to see a, a heck of a lot more of him on Saturday. Uh, uh, temper expectations on a backup freshman quarterback. The the one thing I could tell you is, one, he has the most arm talent team. I mean, he, he threw an incomplete ball deep down the sideline. It just looked like a touchdown pass. But it, went, it sailed all the way out, out of like, bounds. Yeah, yeah. It, it was like, oh, man, it looked dead. Did you see that? I think, he, and then I was, I was joking. As he threw it too, Doug Sherman, who was calling the game, said, "Oh, here's that arm." But then you see the, you know, then the ball sails out of bounds. <laughs> it took off, but it's like, oh man, this this kid's got a cannon. Sure. But the parts that I'm, I'm just missing is I've seen him when he's accurate. Mind you, it was on air. There was no lineman. Uh, it wasn't against coverage. It, it, even sometimes I have in coverage. It, it's just, it seems like he hasn't been able to put it all together yet when it comes to the reading of defense, knowing exactly where to go with the ball at what time, and those things come with practice, with time on the field, and as he continues to develop and understand how he fits inside of this offense, I think he'll continue to get better. But uh, for now, uh, he looks like a backup freshman quarterback. 315-437-7644 is the number if you'd like to get involved. Stephen Fonte, Julian Wiggum with you up until 2 o'clock. We are going to take a time out here, and, and when we return, we're going to get to uh, something Julian said to me during the last commercial break that not going to lie, made my jaw drop to some degree. Uh, we'll get to that on the other side. Keep it here. Orange Nation returns right after this on ESPN Radio. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Again, no Seth Goldberg today. Stephen Fonte, Julian Wiggum with you up until 2 o'clock. This is Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by... Onondaga Community College's Workforce Development Program. Learn the skills local employers need in just two to eight months. For more information, go to sunyocc.edu backslash workforce. We're going to get to Julian's bombshell here in a moment. Uh, but first, we go to the phone line. Stephen North Syracuse kicking us off on the show today. Hey, Steve. Yeah, I'd just like to say that I'm all in favor of getting the young players into the game that, that we saw. Now, of course, it's been... Because of the opposition, we've gotten to play uh, everybody. But 
I really like Taj Harris. I really like Nakeem Johnson. Uh, I, I, I like what I saw of Jarvie and Howard. And there was one point uh, in the second half when our defensive backfield was uh, all freshmen, a redshirt freshman, Trill Williams, Eric Coley, Andre Sisco, and a Fatu Malafanwu. Yep. I, I think I said that right. Yep. <laughs> and um, uh, I, I looked at that and I said, boy, that's the future. I remember <clears throat> back in the 80s, one point Coach Mack put a bunch of freshmen out there Marcus Paul, Chris Ingram, Jeff Mangrum, and David Holmes. And those guys grew up together, and they just got better and better and better as they went along. And uh, they were a major reason for the turnaround of the program at that time. And I think uh, these four guys in the defensive backfield could be two. I just hope that as we uh, uh, get rid of the teams that we should obviously beat, there's one more in, in Connecticut and get into the ACC schedule the coaching staff doesn't just stick with the guys we've had for two years uh, uh, because I think in a lot of cases the guys they brought in that look ready to play now uh, could be better than they are and enable us to compete better in the ACC. I'll take this one. I agree about 95% about w- w- what you said. Um, I think Andre Sisco, Trill Williams will be contributors this season, all season long. Trill Williams will most likely uh, replace uh, who's Bradshaw, Scoop Bradshaw at corner at some point this season. Scoop had a lot of problems in that first game, and usually when you have an issue with speed, you have an issue with speed all season long. It's something that you just, you can't coach it right away. It's something that you have to go through an offseason and, and, and develop. Uh, so I think Trill Williams will be an answer at corner for Syracuse. Uh, Cisco, we talked about. Uh, Ify, Melifonwu, I thought... I've watched him play for a while, right, Melifonu, and I always thought he was more of a safety than a corner, and they seem to be cross-training him. And the thing about freshmen that I, uh, that also I'd like to address is as much as, as, as exciting as they are and as talented as this, I think the recruiting has picked up a bit since I've been at Syracuse, and as talented as these kids are and as good as they are, the thing about freshmen is they, they learn, they, it takes them a while to learn. It takes them a while to adjust to a system. It takes them a while to adjust to the game speed, and while they did look pretty solid in this last game against Wagner, again, it was Wagner. And I, I, I've always been hesitant about playing freshmen too early unless they're truly ready. That's why I'm very excited about Andre Sisco. He was someone who stood out right away. My first time watching practice, like, oh, he he's gonna he's a player, and he looked he didn't look like a freshman either. Uh, same thing for uh, for Howard. He's not a kid that he doesn't look like a freshman. He's someone who I thought ran really strong, and he's someone I feel like could play right away as well. I thought it was good to get him in because I'm not worried about his red shirt later in the season because you never know what happens with a running back. It it, it could be um, Strickland. It could be Moniel. If someone goes down, I think he could fill in uh, very well for uh, this team. Taj Harris, he was he's a skinny cat. He's someone who needs time to develop still. Uh, a lot of these freshmen, even, even Melifani right now, he's still a pretty skinny kid um, after a year in the program. These guys still need time to develop physically. And um, your freshmen, the freshmen that tend to get on the field early, are the ones who are, A, physically ready to do it and are mentally there already. And Trill and Cisco seems to be the ones who are uh, 
they they've been able to get on the field early earliest because that uh, learning process. The farther you are from the ball, the easier it is to learn your position and, and make a play. And except in Baber's offense for receivers, for some reason, I think that's why Nikeem didn't get on the field right away. His true freshman season, it took him until this year to get there. Even though he's as, as talented as he is, the learning curve was too much. Even Cordy, a fifth year senior, switching to offense, he said it was too much for him. And he's someone who you think it's is because really, of the speed. It's Partially because of the speed, but his Coach Baber's off is very technical. I mean, he's very hard on his receivers. Watching him in practice, he'll have guys. No, that's not that's not right. Run it again. Uh, I've seen him tell his coaches they're coaching. Like he's hard about his receivers. Uh, so it, it seems to be a very uh, difficult offense one to just break into and learn. Uh, but once you get it, you got it, and you'll have a chance to be a very productive player. We failed to mention Antoine Cordy uh, on special teams on Saturday. Had a nice punt return. He's, so he's someone I, I, I've always felt like he would be a great punt returner for Syracuse. So I'm happy Coach Bates put him back there. Feels like he shook off the rust after that that first game uh, with special teams and with defense. Thought he, he had a much better game uh, on Saturday against. Oh, Wagner. absolutely, and that's 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 what you draw from a Wagner game. It's something where okay, he had a, didn't have his best game from West Michigan. You know, obviously he's been hurt for a while. Uh, he's been making plays in practice. It just didn't translate to his first game. So to see him get his footing back against Wagner, that's what you want to see because that confidence is what you really want to develop in these games like that. So to bring him into uh, this next one against Florida State, that's what you want to see from Cordy. And they're going to need him. They're going to need him because Florida State, while they struggle, still has athletes. Florida State is still Florida State for in terms of what they can do um, on the field. So they, they gotta have they gotta have guys like Cordy in there to make a play. All right. Thanks to Steven North Syracuse for kicking us off. You can be next at 315-437-7644. All right, we gotta get to to something you said to me uh two commercial breaks ago. Yes. Uh in terms of expectations yes. in, in twenty eighteen. Uh sounds like you've recalibrated your prediction or your expectations for how many wins this team can have. Yep. And and the win total, uh, yeah, surprised me. Uh, so you think Syracuse can win blank games. What's that number? I think Syracuse football can win 10 games this year. 10 games. 10 games this year. And it's, listen, I know the numbers. I started off, I thought they would win seven, right? And I didn't count Florida State. Um, I didn't believe they could beat UNC. And now I'm starting, to, and I'm watching, going through the schedule, and I'm like, they've got an opportunity here. Florida State, the biggest issue for them, they've got to stop the run. That's what killed them last year. Acres, he made 199 yards last, last year against Florida State. If you stop him from running the ball everywhere, Syracuse wins that game. And I don't think that Florida State has shown that they can still run the football with that uh, kind of proficiency this season. The way they've been spreading the ball out, trying to hand it to their running backs, uh, that spread offense, that their personnel does not match the scheme that they're trying to run right now. And it's been holding them back as an offense, and it's been holding them back as a defense. Usually when Syracuse plays Florida State, Florida State plays what we what I call, we're better than you defense, right? Line up, man-to-man across the board, one high safety our corners are better than your receivers. They they don't they're not playing that defense anymore. They're playing back that softer zone. They're trying to make uh, get interceptions, create turnovers, confuse quarterbacks. But the problem with that is in the ACC, if you have a talented quarterback, you can make defenses pay, and we've seen that. Even uh, the two teams that Florida State's played early in the season, they've been killing Florida State in the passing game. So Eric Dungy against this de- this Florida State defense, I think he can have a day. Two hundred yards rushing his first game, five touchdown passes in his second. Florida State's defense can't handle that. I think that they one win that game, go three and zero. They go to UConn, who has been poor. Uh, U- UConn's coming here. Oh, UConn, come, UConn's coming to home. They're beating home. UConn. Yep, absolutely beating UConn. 
Then what we got? Pitt. They return the Pitt returns the same issues from last year. A poor offensive line. They lack athletes on the outside. This defensive line was going after them last season. I thought that they made a lot of plays. Wake Forest, they graduate John Wolford, who put up 700 yards of offense against them. They'll be working with a new quarterback. NC State graduate three D linemen from that talented defensive line that was going after Syracuse and killing Eric Dungy all game long. That was a game that they were in and eventually uh, got knocked out of because uh, Chubb had made a bunch of plays. So the offense will be that there will, will be some opportunities. Then BC, Syracuse had quit by that part in the season. They were out. Dungy wasn't in. Cole Pepper was a starting quarterback. He didn't know what was going on. Freshman guy still trying to figure it out. Uh, the defense had checked out by that point. They weren't playing for anything. BC is a game they, they can win. When you BC plays a four three cover four offense or defense. If you spread that out and have a running quarterback, think. Alabama with Johnny Manziel and Texas A&M, if you can run around, spread them out, you have an opportunity to make some plays. So BC is a game I think they can win. UNC allowed 200 yards rushing and almost 300 yards passing last week. UNC's not good. No, at all. All of these games are games that Syracuse can win. That's 10 games. All right, so I'm going to be devil's advocate here, okay? I, I said they were going to go 6-6 six and six and make it to a bowl game, and I, I felt pretty confident in that prediction. And the one caveat I said is, if Eric Dungy stays healthy, if Eric Dungy starts 12 games, this team's going to a bowl game. There's a difference between... And I and I've also said the one game they cannot win this year, there's always a chance, but they're not beating Clemson. That's the one game they cannot win. Every other game, individually, they, they could potentially win. But there is a difference... Julian from could win and will win. You are predicting ten that they wins. will win. You're these predicting games. ten wins. I'm saying until I am given new information from what I've seen from Syracuse and from what I've seen from the rest of the schedule, Syracuse will win ten games. Here's the reason why I like the the Florida State prediction, and I watched a lot of that game, the Samford game on Saturday night, and that kid Devlin Hodges threw for 475 yards. Um. I'm more concerned about Florida State's offense. And to your point, Syracuse has had trouble in past years just just stopping that offense because they have so many athletes, and whether it's the running game or or their speedy wide receivers, whatever the case may be. I've seen Florida State play twice now. They were awful against Virginia Tech offensively. Now, some of that is Virginia Tech's got a really good defense. They didn't play all that well offensively against Samford. In fact, again, they scored, quote-unquote, 36 points, but that pick six you know, made it a 10-point spread and made it look like, oh, okay, well, Florida State survived. Samford should have won that game. I mean, Samford had some turnovers that, that proved costly. I think they were minus three in the turnover battle. Samford was minus three and still almost won that game. And to me, that says Florida State... Is is not scoring points, and and so even let's say they scored twenty nine, like I feel pretty comfortable saying Syracuse can put up thirty or more against Florida State with this offense yeah. going up against that defense Absolutely. that has struggled. So on the flip side, can Florida State score thirty points? Now I know that SU's weakness is is the defense, but based on what I've seen so far, if Florida State has trouble putting up you know twenty nine points against Sanford, given some gifts on top of it, given all those turnovers. Are they going to have an easy time scoring 30 on Syracuse in the Dome? I, I I like your prediction for next week. I'm not willing to go 10 wins at this point. Um, it's a slow process, but we'll get we go. <laughs> it's one win at a time. But again, if Florida State is a game that they can win, there if, if we're expecting them to beat Florida State, I don't. I don't, I don't expecting. See. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm expecting them to win. I am expecting it to be a close game. I think they can win. Let's put it that way. Okay. I think there's a good chance Syracuse wins. 
Absolutely. Am I hedging my bets here? No, enough? no. I'm saying they're winning the game. I know you're saying. I know. I'm kind of hedging here a little. I'm saying yeah. I think there's a good chance they will win. Um, my thing is, I, I noticed that Florida State's talent and personnel, just just as a whole as a team, has dropped off significantly in the past two. I think that's part of the reason their last head coach just left. Fisher, Jimbo Fisher left. Um, just because you, you can kind of see it last season, the way they struggle, and then this year having their starting quarterback back, they're still having those issues. I, I'm thinking to myself. There's, there's not going to be enough. It's three games. They're not in midseason form yet. They're no, still, not they're, even close. They're still trying to figure it out. And I think Syracuse knows what they're doing. They're a veteran football team. They've got a whole bunch of seniors on this roster, a lot of uh, experienced juniors. There's no reason. And then the other thing is Syracuse plays up to their opponent. Think Clemson. Think even a loss to Miami. LSU last year. Those are all games. Florida State last yeah, year. Florida State last year. They play up to their opponent. And as soon as they see that they feel like they have a chance to win the football, especially when they're at home, too, that's when it really gets into them. And almost left this out. It doesn't happen if fans don't show up. Sure. Almost. I almost left that out. It, the fan support in Syracuse has been uh, not to my liking as a player. Um, and even now, just kind of watching it disappointing but as they continue to win I expect more orange to be in there and that'll fuel this football team because the guys they talk about that in the locker room that was something that me and Omari Kyle Knapp we'd always talk about it during like during the season even like games we were winning or uh when we were having a successful little run it's like where is everybody man do they like us oh they don't like us yet all right we'll keep going and but then when you no one's there it's like oh man it's more fun to play on the road because no one's so you as if Syracuse, oh, the only way they get to my 10-game prediction is if, one, they collect the wins that I'm expecting them to, and then, B, the fans show up, because that's when a program is really rocking, and that's the only way you can get to that point. We brought up the attendance last week, and when we were discussing whether or not they'd get to 30,000. They didn't get to 30,000. Uh, uh, in terms of the attendance, lowest attendance for a home opener for Syracuse since the early 80s. be very interesting to see how many people show up this coming Saturday for Florida State. It's an enormous game for a lot of reasons. ACC opener. It's Florida State. It's a chance to move to 3-0. and All that good stuff. Be interesting to see how many people uh, show up inside the Dome. Yes, Tommy? ESPN actually agrees with you, Julian. Fifty. They're, according to their football power index, they have a 57% chance that SU wins this game against Florida State. Mm-hmm. Because Florida State's not good. Like, just by any football stand, like, just eye test, you ask a coach, ask a player, they're not a good football team right now. That, that doesn't surprise me at all. If Syracuse losing this game, loses this game, I'd be very disappointed. 315-437-7644. We do need to take another timeout. We'll continue the SU football talk on the other side. Back after this on ESPN Radio.